0: Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode, the conversation is about advanced care planning and how to engage in the conversation with loved ones and caregivers. Quality Improvement Specialist, Kathy Ray, leads a conversation with Katie Hoem, Vice President of Pace Operations, a Division of Aging and In-Home Services of Northeast Indiana, and Chris Brenneman, Advanced Care Planning Manager, Respecting Choice's ACP facility at Parkview Health. Now let's get this conversation started.
1: Welcome to the conversation. Today QSource is pleased to be talking with experts on the subject of advanced care planning. Our experts today are Chris Brenneman and Katie Huffam. Both have a combined expertise and years of service work in our communities. Chris has been a healthcare social worker for over 30 years and currently works at Parkview Health. Chris has joined the hospice and bereavement group as a counselor and social worker. She also works as the first palliative care team social worker, defining the role and developing responsibilities and processes when Parkview Health instituted its interdisciplinary palliative care program. Chris serves on the Community Advisory Board for Huntington University School of Social Work. She's a member of the Indiana Patient Preferences Coalition and Honoring Choices Indiana Steering Committee. So, welcome, Chris, and Thank Katie. Having- Huff- yes, Katie Huffman. Or- Excuse me. Katie Huffam serves as the vice president of the Pace Operations at Aging and In Home Services of Northeast Indiana. This is the Area Three Area Agency on Aging, which serves nine counties in the Northeast Indiana. In her role, she oversees all PACE operations. And just a reminder for the audience, PACE stands for Programs of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly and is a Medicare and Medicaid program supported for the frailest, and the costliest older adults who have multiple chronic conditions, but they choose and wish to remain in the community. Katie oversees the Population Health Department, which includes work with managed care organizations and health systems to provide transitional support to patients from the hospital to home. So welcome both of you today to the conversation. Thank you for having us you are welcome. So let's get started. Let's start off for the basic um, understanding and communication in our communities. What does advanced care planning look like? And how is that defined?
2: I'll Let you take that Chris.
3: Okay. So to me, advanced care planning is having conversations about what matters most to you with the people who matter most to you related to future healthcare care decision making. We call it advanced care planning because it is planning you do not when you're in the emergency room or in the IC, but prior to entering the hospital with a serious or life threatening health condition. It's about really understanding and reflecting on your life experiences, your values, your beliefs, and incorporating those into what kind of medical decisions you would make for potential future medical scenarios and identifying whom you would want to make decisions for you in the event that you can't make your own decisions because of your medical condition. It's really about the conversations. An outcome of advanced care planning could be the completion of appropriate advanced directives, but the conversation itself cannot be underscored how important Talking with your family, your friends, your healthcare providers, and your faith leaders can help you reflect on what's important so that you can make decisions about future medical care.
1: Mm-hmm. When you talk about having the conversation, is there a time frame that we should be having these conversations? And, you know, I think of my children who, because they're younger and they're in their mid-20s, don't feel like they need to make those kinds of decisions right now in their lives um compared to their mother <laughs> and i think about you know even though we have those conversations it's getting them to understand the importance of that but is there a do you have recommendations on when to have that conversation
2: i mean it's really for anybody that's 18 and over should should be having at least a you know a, a basic conversation about you know, if something were to happen to me, who would be my spokesperson? Who would be my healthcare representative if if something were to happen? Um, and I think, you know, one of the common myths with advanced care planning and advanced directives in general is that they often are not ever revisited. It's something that we do as part of, you know, estate planning or we do it because something has happened. And then as we, you know, change throughout our lifetime, they, you know, we don't go back to them. And so advanced care planning is something that exists from the moment we become an adult um, until the end of life. And it's kind of an ever evolving conversation. Um, and like Chris said, the product of those conversations could be an advanced directive form, but those forms would also change potentially over time. It's it's very much, um, it is not a one and done. Um, and I think that's often the thing we see is, is often the most missed piece of advanced care planning is, is you know, we do it one time and feel like it's, it's over. And it's something that really changes with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you, Katie. Mm-hmm. Are there particular benefits to the advanced care planning conversation? I know we kind of talked a little bit about some benefits, but are there concrete benefits that you would like our audience to walk away with in having that conversation?
2: Well, I think I can speak to just as a friend and a family member and, um, you know, somebody in the community and then I'll let Chris weigh in on, um, the benefits to the medical practitioners. Um, but, you know, as a, as You know, having a conversation and then if you can have an advanced directive in place, it takes the guesswork out of these very critical decisions and it gives you things to refer back on as a family member or a loved one or a friend of somebody who maybe you've been appointed to make decisions for um, in a way that you can feel much more confident and secure in the decisions you're making. Um, there's quite a bit of research that supports, you know, the the decrease in moral distress just by having these conversations. Um, because, you know, if you've experienced the death of a loved one and you've been, you know, at the forefront of making decisions for them, in those instances, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> a lot of what ifs that people, you know, take themselves through. And these conversations can really um, not, maybe not eliminate, but certainly reduce that, that distress um, and those, you know, kind of that guilt that can linger after some of these really traumatic situations. So, I said, Chris, I'll let you kind of weigh in from there.
3: Yeah, so Respecting Choices is the model of advanced care planning we have implemented at Parkview Health System, and they did a study and the results of the study that showed that bereaved family members of people who had participated in advanced care planning conversations in their bereavement had less stress less anxiety and less depression in their bereavement so that is an evidence-based study that shows us the value of having those conversations preparing your family, normalizing that it's okay, even though end of life and what you want that to look like and healthcare decision-making can be scary place to go. Conversation-wise, there's so much value in talking about it ahead of the crisis. We've also seen from a health system perspective that with the opportunity to engage in advanced care planning, we have made it so that if a person enters our health system, it only takes two clicks in the electronic medical record to open a patient's advanced directive. It is immediately available to the treating health care team. Because we can only honor a person's wishes if we know those wishes. We can only know those wishes if we have access to them. And we only have access to them if conversations have been had and have been documented.
1: Okay. So I would, my family and I would take our document or our conversation that we've written down and put in writing, we would take that into the hospital and then you would keep that on file and keep that information with me as a patient, correct?
3: You are correct. So the ideal situation would be that if you create documents Mm -hmm. that we have copies, that you keep the originals and you keep them in a place that makes sense, Um, So don't, for example, in my experience as a palliative care social worker, put them in the safety deposit box at the bank that nobody has access to, Um, put them in a place that's readily accessible. So one of my coworkers actually has her documents in her desk drawer at work has her documents in her car and has her documents in their family bill paying box like their important papers box so have those originals where they're accessible but at any opportunity you have to make those available to your medical treatment team is only going to increase the likelihood that we will know your wishes so that we can honor them if you're facing that serious or life-threatening medical condition.
1: Is it common for my physician to have that conversation with me? Is that a common conversation out there? Or is it just at particular times in my life if I have a diagnosis of Maybe a chronic or a health condition that's failing.
2: I I would say in in general, and I think Parkview might be the exception to some of this, but in general, you, you know, people are gonna it, it, physicians or um, you know individuals within a physician's office, like a, a social worker or a, or a nurse, would bring up the the. Um, the need to have these conversations because there is some sort of a health crisis that's, that's happening, um, or a, a new diagnosis has been been given that would maybe warrant, um, some, some planning being done. Um, you know, I think what, what Chris and I have really uh, preached, I would say, cause I think we've preached at this point, um, is that, you know, it should be something that's discussed at a very normal, basic level. Just, you know, have you had these conversations before, if not, you know, it's it's you know something that we would recommend. Um, we understand that most physicians don't have the time to have a conversation. That you know, you know, these are intended to be um, lengthy um, because there is a lot to discuss. And so, you know, I know Parkview has a system in place to um, to make a referral so that they could you know be referred to somebody with training to Mm -hmm. have an advanced care planning conversation. And and there are places across the state where where that can be done as well. Um, But I think, you know, as Chris talked about, it's all about normalizing it, kind of at every place throughout the healthcare setting, we're all Mm -hmm. hopefully gonna, you know, eventually be saying the same language, the same recommendations, that this has nothing to do with a diagnosis. It -hmm. has to do with the fact that you're a human being, and this is just something that we all should be doing. So how did the two
1: of you, um, How? what is your history and how did the two of you start with all of this wonderful work? Is there a personal story behind your passion? Is it um, out of your work experience that you've identified this, this need? Tell us a little bit about how you got started. So uh,
3: I could wax poetic for hours about the need <laughs> and the value and what I'm I have seen in my lifetime as a social worker working in healthcare, But I'll boil it down to a couple of things. Um, when I was the bereavement counselor for the hospice team, many time I counseled people who were stuck in their grief. They literally could not move forward on their grief journey. And as we explored that for many, It was people who had not had conversations in advance of their family member having a medical crisis. Mm -hmm. And so they had to guess at what their loved one wanted. And the reason they couldn't move forward in their grief is they were replaying the woulda, coulda, shoulda, should I have asked for one more test, seen one more doctor, and in not having those conversations and replaying and having that magnified survivor's guilt and that questioning of doing the right thing or not. That combined with my work as a palliative care social worker, where I saw end of life decision making both ends of the spectrum, bring out the best in families, but also complicate already complicated family dynamics and sometimes making situations that looked as if they would never heal within the family because family members were on opposite sides of a healthcare decision and they couldn't reconcile and become of one accord. That helped me have the realization that we were just waiting way Way too late to start these conversations, and we needed to move them further upstream. That was my personal motivation.
2: Um, I worked in long-term care for many years and um, left that industry feeling very um, lost uh, in the the healthcare system, and just you know feeling like we should be able to do better for people. Um, and I would say advanced care planning, you know, was something that I I was rarely exposed to um, in a setting where advanced care planning very much should be a part of everything we did on a daily basis. Um, and as I was looking for a job change, I came across a position that the, the entire purpose of the position was educating and um Implementing the the post form the physicians order for scope of treatment form Um, and so I really kind of came by it. it just thought it was like, okay, this makes sense, um, you know, and and kind of dove in headfirst from there. Um, That was uh, uh, eight years ago was when the post was passed. So about seven and a half, um, you know, was was when this was happening. Um, and, and I think, you know, for me, it just it continued just to kind of build in this moment of this just makes sense. It makes sense for wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, and all of the fragmentation that I experienced in the healthcare settings that I that I worked within. A lot of that could maybe not be solved, but certainly um it could be um could have much better outcomes for people if we were doing these conversations kind of at every step of somebody's um you know lifespan so i I really kind of i I got there um I like to think maybe not by accident but a little by accident um, because I just was kind of at a turning point in my own career at that time.
1: Great, well that's, I mean, it's important to understand where you're coming from and, and your passion with this. And and so currently I'm understanding that Indiana has some changes underway. Um, and I wondered if you might be able to kind of, I know we can dive into this in a future podcast, but let us know a little bit about what's happening in Indiana right now to advance care planning. Um, and maybe you each can can share
2: what that looks like? Well, it, there's been a group of individuals through the Indiana Patient Preferences Coalition, um, which is the group that, um, that really is the reason why the POST form exists in Indiana. Okay. Um, and this group has been meeting for, for, for many years and you know, continually discussing the state of advanced care planning, the state of advanced directives in, in Indiana. Um, the post form was just kind of the start of those conversations. And, and, and this is something I experienced, too, in my work where we were trying to educate on a document that's really used for end of life um, or the last, you know, the last year of life. And we were finding that people had never had a prior conversation. And so we felt like, you know, there needed to be much more education happening more upstream. And so it started conversations around the current documents that we have available in Indiana, the living will and the healthcare um, representative document and and others, and just how um, really ineffective they were in practice. And, and how difficult it was to honor wishes when you had a document that, um, you know, because of certain legal aspects of the document or vague terminology in the documents was very hard to follow. Um, so mm-hmm. this group has, you know, um, been trying, what is it, year this was the third try, correct, Chris, to get mm-hmm. a bill passed. Um, and, and I think, you know, COVID certainly changed the playing field a little bit where kind of you know, others in the community were now seeing that, oh yes, this is something that is important and not just important in the context of a global pandemic, but it just exposed all the cracks. Um, and so the bill was able to be passed um, in early 2021 um, with, with a lot of changes that will make things much more comprehensive um, okay. for for patients and then also much more practical for providers to to honor okay. those those wishes. Wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. So, kind of simplifying the process for those? Um, I don't know if I'd say simplifying. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> what about uh, for the consumer? Would it be simpler for the consumer?
2: A little bit, yes. So, okay. I'm trying to eliminate multiple ways to do the same thing, basically. Okay. Um, and then just making the documents where they can be much more personalized, much more specific, um, and and much more detailed, mm-hmm. um, and and able to do so in a way that's um, not burdensome as well. I know a lot of times that's what happens with some of these documents is, you know, people, you know, feel like this is going to be a, a lengthy, lengthy process, and so with some of the new bill changes, um, it doesn't have to be. So, okay. yep. So when we
1: talk about advanced care planning forms and we talk about getting the information documented correctly, would you say that it there's a variety of different styles, of different formats, that that one is better than another? Or, you know, if my mom wants to do a Google search on advanced care planning, does, is it going to bring up the most current format for her? And is it confusing, I guess, for folks?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Kathy. Um, And I would say there's probably multiple answers to that. And part of that does rest on the fact that Indiana law is changing in two days on July 1st. Mm -hmm. Our current advanced directives, the ones that are supported by the Indiana State Department of Health, Mm -hmm. are very, very basic forms, easy to read, require witnesses, don't require notaries, um, but they are very black and white. There's not a lot of flexibility within the documents. They're pretty standardized. Katie talked about the ability to personalize when we change the law on July 1st. These are pretty generic. You can find them on the Indiana State Department of Health um, advanced directive resource page. Mm-hmm. You can also find that most healthcare systems have on their pages links to the documents so that you can access them pretty easily. When we move to the new law coming into play on July 1st, it's kind of an anything goes related to documents. We are able to use the current standard advanced directives that are available on the State Department of Health website until the end of 2022, and then those will be phased out. But we are also able to use a form that's called Five Wishes, which is a booklet-style advanced directive form that we have all been one of a handful of states that has not been allowed to use because it wasn't consistent with law. We can bring five wishes into play. We can bring prepare for your care, which has an advanced directive document specific for every state into play you can do a handwritten note if that's what you need to do you can meet with your attorney and go through a checklist of yes i want that included no i don't want that included and really up that value of personalizing it so mm-hmm. that your medical team really knows what you want. And you really want to do that in some sort of guided process. Mm-hmm. So I technically, after July 1st, could create a document and say, unplug me if I'm a burden to my family. I could sign it. I could have two piece people witnesses with
2: mm-hmm
3: again, I could sign it. I could have two people witness it. And that technically could be seen as a valid advanced directive document. However, what does it mean when I say unplug me, right? Mm-hmm. That could be anything. Does exactly. that often include the IV pump that is providing my morphine to help with pain management? And what does it mean to be a burden? My definition of a burden is probably different than yours, Kathy, and yours, Katie. And Mm -hmm. so having a guided process into completing documents is going to help you to avoid that ambiguity that Mm -hmm. really may mean your wishes aren't honored because Mm -hmm. it's interpreted in a way that's not what you really intended. Okay. So it's both sides i think in some ways it's it's more consumer friendly because it offers that flexibility but in other ways it's taking a fairly black and white process and offering you the opportunity to include a lot of shades of gray
1: okay well listen ladies i want to thank you for getting the conversation started today on advanced care planning definitely have learned a lot just in our short time together I welcome you both back as we continue our series on advanced care planning. And I wanna thank all of our listeners out there for joining us today and stay tuned as the next podcast, uh, will continue our conversation on advanced care planning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at QSource.org conversationpodcast conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the quality innovation network, quality improvement organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.